Let's do it. Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alfazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we'll put you right straight at the top of the list, get your question answered. Spend a little time mulling it over with you. There you go. Right now is the perfect time to call, though. <laughs> That's right. Don't wait till the end of the Last week, towards the beginning of the show, we didn't get hardly any calls at all. Right. And when we got out, we had all six lines holding. That, that tends to happen that yeah, way. Yeah, I, I, I don't know what causes that. I wish I could figure it out. Yeah, no kidding, huh? <laughs> anyway, right now is the time to call in. And you get on in and get a call answered. And just in case something occurs to you during the week or after the show is over, or we just don't get to your call. That's right. You can always visit our website and get your questions answered there. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A G C O. A-U-T-O.com. Altazan's Garage Company is an easy way to remember those acronyms. Got to get you to our site, and there's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night, and he'll get it back to you within 24 hours. There's also several databases you can search on the site to get your questions answered there. With a new and improved search function. That Finally also, got it working? Yeah, everything's working really good. There's one on the menu of every page. It'll say search. And then at the bottom of every page is also like a little magnifying glass that mm-hmm. will bring you to the same exact spot. Just two different ways to get there. But if you type it in there, if it's on that site, it's going to bring it up for you and let you know what's going on. Tons and tons and tons of information. I add stuff to that site virtually every night. Mm-hmm. And so there's constantly something new. I don't like the vehicle questions. That's the short answer to a particular problem. There's 715 of those in there. Wow. So I've added probably close to 100 of those in the last month. So That's you know, great. I work on it just about every night, adding things and looking for things that people are interested in and so that's one option that's on there. Of course, you can always send me an email if you don't see what you're looking for, or if you have a particular question about a specific car, because most of those are going to be more generic questions in general, cars in general. It's very, very hard to write answers to specific problems just because they vary so much. Even between model years. Right, model years, or even the same car with two different options. It's almost impossible to make a blanket statement that's going to address that with any degree of accuracy. So those are going to tend to be more general questions like, for instance, how do I check an alternator or what's the best kind of coolant pre-mixed or concentrate? Those types of questions, are, they're in there. My car pulls to the right. I've had the alignment check. It's still pulling. What could be wrong? All those kinds of questions, you're going to find an answer right there. Now, there's also the detailed topic section, which has got a much more involved answer to a specific topic. And those will go probably three, 400 words on a specific topic with illustrations and give you a lot more information. Put one this morning on fuel injectors and cleaning fuel injectors, basically wallet flushing. A lot, a lot of folks have been misled to believe that fuel injection flushing is a maintenance item. Right. And an inject is designed to clean itself. Right. It is a self-cleaning device. And if you're using a decent grade of gasoline, you're not going to have clogged injectors. That's right. just not going to happen. But not only that, continually adding injector cleaner to your tank can cause a lot of problems. It dissolves the lining of the tank and cause problems, cause the injector to clog up at that point. Right. So there's some real good information. It shows you how an injector works. There's some cutaway views of an injector showing you what's inside, how they operate, and some good, good pointers. That's one that went online this morning. General one will go online every Saturday morning. Right. To coincide with the show, as a matter of fact. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so pop on and see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com, agcoauto.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going to our phone lines with Lewis. Good morning, sir. Good morning, sir. How are you all today? Doing great. Good morning. Yes, sir. I have a 2006 Chevrolet HHR. Okay. 
and the remote start does not work. Is there any way I can check it? or? When you say it doesn't work, when you push the button, what happens? The horn starts blowing. Okay, then it starts okay with the key? Oh, yeah. It's probably going into some type of a theft mode. Is You have some kind of an incompatibility issue where it's not recognizing your okay. remote. Because uh, the lock and unlock. Yeah, see what's happening. The door is unlocking, but then it says, wait a minute, the door's unlocked, and I don't get an acknowledgement. That means somebody's breaking in. That's why the horn will start blowing. Okay. Sort of a bop, 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 bop type of thing, and then it'll time out after a while if you hit the button again, it'll quit. Exactly. Yeah, that's going to be some type of a security system issue. It's possible... Has anything been done to the vehicle? Anything changed on it? No, nothing. I, I changed the battery also in the remote start thing. Uh-huh. That didn't help. So, as a matter of fact, I just got this call last week. Yeah, so, it's always done this since you got it? Yes, yes. Okay, well, yeah, it's probably an existing problem. Something is not matching. It could be something as simple as reprogramming the okay. remote to the car. Right. Or it could be the remote transmitter has a malfunction in it but it's going to be something in the security system what's happening is that when you're opening the remote it probably matches door it's unlocking the door but okay. then when it goes to start it doesn't see the right acknowledgement so it okay. says hey somebody's getting in here the doors are open i'm going to shut it down and i'm going to blow the horn to warn oh. but it sounds like a security system type issue so okay. something's either incompatible or broken in that system to be honest with you lewis there's not going to be anything you're going to be able to do yourself that's a pretty complicated system it has to be because if it was easy to circumvent then a thief could get around it so they have to make it real difficult and not real transparent it's exactly. all built into the computers on the car it's all class two serial data so there's really not anything for you to check yourself you all check it yes sir any qualified shop with a tech two can check that and tell you what's going on with it okay i'm gonna give you all a call next week all righty thank you sir. sounds good thank you sir bye-bye if you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. Just give us a call. Theft systems and security systems, most people do not realize they're on the car. Right, most of them invisible to totally the, the invisible. average person. Yeah. It's a passive system, but almost every car built from probably late 80s on up has some form of a security system on it. Right, whether it acknowledges, whether you can acknowledge it or not. Right, and as long as it works, you don't ever know it's there. That's right, but you when it just, quits. Yeah, when it quits, then your car doesn't start and That's all that. That's it, then you got a problem. But very, very often folks come in and their car won't start, and they're amazed when you tell them, say, well, you've got a security system out. Well, it doesn't have a security system on the car. Right. Oh, yeah, it does. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it doesn't, nothing. Yeah. And they're thinking an alarm system, which right. is some kind of an aftermarket feature you put. Well, it's not an alarm system. But it's onboard security, and the way they work varies from car to car to car, but most cars have some type of a feature where the ignition lock cylinder, either in the key or in the cylinder itself, has a device that when you turn it, it acknowledges a signal to the body control module, which matches a signal in the power control module, and if they don't match, it's going to assume the car is being stolen. That's right. Some of the early ones were really easy to get around. Right. So the cars progressed. They got more complicated and they had to integrate it more into the body computers and, and things of that nature. Right. You know, the early, like the PASS-1 system just had a chip in the key with a certain right. amount of resistance across it. And, and as long could, as you saw that. Yeah, if you could find the resistor, I mean, find the uh, wires. the wires for it, you could change the resistance on them, and you, you could usually you start it without the right key. To start. Yeah. yeah, these figured that out pretty fast, so they just went to a more and more and more complex. Right. Most of them now have some type of a square wave that's generated when the cylinder is rotated and it has to match a stored pattern and they even have other devices and stuff in their skim codes and all that sort of thing to where it's pretty difficult to get around right 
You know, unfortunately, it also makes diagnosis on it pretty difficult. You got to have some really specialized stuff. You have to have factory scan tools for one thing, which fortunately a lot of independent shops do have. But it's just really way out of the realm of any do-it-yourselfer that I know of. Oh, most definitely. It's not anything you're getting there with a voltmeter or an ohmmeter no. or anything like that. And you're not even be able to communicate with it. And most of the components are hidden away pretty well simply because they're easy to get to. They'd be easy to get around. Exactly. So being a security system, they had to make it pretty difficult. Yeah, most of them are buried pretty deep in the dash. Right. They hid it up in there where nobody could get to it to disarm it. Let's go back to our phone lines with Larry. Good morning, Larry. Hey, how are you? Doing great, sir. Good morning. I have a 2005 Lincoln LS uh-huh. with about 75,000 miles okay. on it. And I've changed about four, I don't know if that's the injector or spark plug coil packs. Probably the coils. Call they packs. are notorious about going out. And I want to know if there was a manufacturing defect. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ford has had that trouble on all of their engines, but more so on the LS than any other car. They've got some redesigned valve cover covers that they say is going to help. What they claim is that moisture is getting into them and causing them to go bad. Okay. To be honest with you, Larry, the only way I've had any kind of luck with these things is to change all six calls at the same time and put the updated call covers on them. Okay. And that seems to work better than anything else. When okay. you change one or two, it seems like those tend to do all the work and the other ones don't. It just You go in a vicious circle. I know guys okay. who have put 10, 12 calls on it and you only got six on the engine. So oh, my goodness. The last... Two or three we've done. There is a service bulletin out for the problem. Unfortunately, there's no kind of recall or any kind of a remedy from Ford. But you change all six of the calls at the same time and put these new covers on there. And it's supposed to keep the moisture out. I've done probably five or six of them. I hadn't had any come back yet. And it's okay. probably over a course of a year or two. So I feel pretty good about it. Okay. Well, I'll give you a call. Okay, Larry. Thank you. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. Hi, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to take one quick little break, and we'll be right back with more. That's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. What about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah. I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we've got Warren on the line. Good morning, Warren. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question on a 2003 Saturn View, which I bought new. Okay. Several times in the last couple of months, we've noticed a wagging instability on making turns. Okay. Not excessive speed, but kind of a scary feeling. It almost feels like you're running off the road and 
trying to get back on. It's, okay. it's very unstable. Mm-hmm. In January of '05, there was a recall on that car where they replaced the rear lateral link. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I'm wondering, is, is this a rear suspension problem? It sure sounds it very like well it could be. Yeah, most instability problems are going to stem from the rear. Just okay. because anything in the front that's loose is going to be perceived more as slack in the steering. Mm-hmm. Whereas something in the rear, you know how a forklift, if the back wheels turn, how it really moves the vehicle a lot? Right. Same thing on a car. When the back wheels move just a tiny bit, it's going to really affect handling considerably. Uh-huh. Have you noticed any tire wear? No, I replaced the tires about a year ago with mm-hmm. some Firestone tires. Yes, sir. Okay. Check them close. Make sure they're not chopped on the end Run or Run your cut hand across. across the tread pattern uh-huh. and make sure it's smooth and even. In other words, don't just look at it from the outside because the very inside can be chopped up. You can't see it okay. very well from the outside. You almost got to lay down under the car, put it up on a lift. But if you run your hand on the inside of that tread and it's got humps and bumps and lumps in it, uh-huh. what Brian's talking to is chopping. And that's one of the first signs of a rear misalignment which would be one of the first symptoms of something loose in the back end. And okay. it, it's very possible when they change the links, they just didn't get it lined up right. It could maybe just didn't It just may be out of alignment. Properly. The toe may be out of alignment in the rear, which would cause tire wear, instability. It would drive real weird. Turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, see, anything in the front, you, you're going to pick up on that right away because it's tied to the steering wheel. But things in the rear are going to really feel strange. Okay. Now and the was- road surface is going to affect it also. You may feel it more on certain types of roads than others. Uh, it was supposedly realigned. When yeah, I know right. that doesn't mean anything. Right. <laughs> right. I understand. <laughs> it's kind of like buying something new is supposed to be good. Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah, yeah, buddy. Yeah, I would check that. See if you got some tire wear. If you don't, then I would get them to check all that back end. Make sure when they change those links, they got all the bolts tight. They could possibly have left the bolt loose and it's worked loose and now something's moving in the rear. Uh-huh. But that sounds like a rear loose misalignment kind of an issue. Okay, is that something you folks would yes, take sir. care of? Oh, yes, sir. Yes, we sir. specialize in that. Okay. Anything on that car. Okay, good, because, you know, Saturn's out of business. Yes, sir. Yep. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. What I hear is that they're going to start distributing Saturn parts through the Chevrolet dealers in October. I did get a letter saying they, uh, the ship right. there. Right. Any Chevrolet dealer will be able to buy Saturn parts, which will really help the shops out. Because right now, we're having a hard time getting Saturn parts. Uh-huh. We still get them. It just takes a while. You know, we used to get overnight. It takes a week now. But once they make that available through the Chevrolet dealers, I think that's going to all improve quite a bit. Okay. So you just have to hang in there for a little while. But, I mean, we can get it fixed. It just may take a little while if we have to order a part. Okay. Well, I'll run my hands over there. Yeah, and just check and uh, see if you got a rear. If the tires are starting to wear in the back, then you pretty much know that's what's going on. Okay. And if the tires are smooth, I... If they're nice and smooth, we've probably got something loose back there that's not affecting tire wear. Okay. All right. Well, right. I may bring that in and let you take a look okay. at it next week. <laughs> Sounds great. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. I part of the Automotive Fire. We'd certainly love to have you. And we got John online. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning. I also have a Saturn. It's an Astra. It's uh-huh. a 2008. Uh-huh. And a couple of weeks ago, I went through an episode where I had a lot of trouble. I was stranded out of town and everything. Thank goodness I was able to get it fixed and stuff. As a matter of fact, uh-huh. I shared like, went through the same stuff you were just talking about. But what it was was a fuel pump had gone out. Mm. And uh, my question is, after the fact, I mean, it's already fixed and it's running just like a scalded dog again, uh-huh. thank goodness. Yes, sir. But my question is, is there anything that I possibly did to cause this? You know, uh, Well, I can give you some general things that can cause a fuel pump to go out. Number one is if you run your tank low a lot, 
that is definitely going to shorten the life of the pump. Have you ever noticed how the last little about quarter of that gas gauge is red? Yeah. That means yeah. don't run it there. When you get to a quarter tank, just say, hey, it's empty and go fill it up. When you let the tank run low, the fuel cools the fuel pump. It also gives it head pressure so it doesn't have to work nearly as hard. Mm-hmm. Most of the time when we see people with a early fuel pump failure or repeated fuel pump failures, it's going to be one of a couple of things. Number one is they continually run the tank to near empty. Number two is they're using an off-brand of gas. They're not using Exxon or Chevron. I don't want to talk about any brand names on the air, but they're not using one of the major brands. Some of the stuff you get to discount stores and all that is not a real clean fuel, even though it will burn. But I've never had a person come in with a bad fuel pump or a bunch of clogged-up injectors or any kind of a major fuel system problem and say, hey, I buy all my gas at Chevron or I buy all my gas at Exxon. It's always I buy it at yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's some department store or quick type place. But those are by a wide margin the two most common causes of fuel pump failure. Okay. Now, now right, that, it could that just be a bad pump question. also. Right. That answers my second question. Okay. If it'll occur again in the future or something. So, yeah. yeah. I'll be a little. If you're more careful with those things, you put a better grade of fuel in it. Because a nickel a gallon, if you add it up, it's not going to add up to any money at all over the course of a year. I mean, it comes to like 40 bucks a year maybe. And one fuel system repair is probably 10 times that or 20 times that. So it's, well, it's just it not a very good under, deal. It was covered under the warranty, yeah. so I was grateful for that. Right. Yeah, you know, yeah next time. <laughs> thank you so much. Okay, sir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the automotive, hour, we'd love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? That's also, fuel pumps do just go out. Right. But it's generally up in the 80 to 100,000 plus mile range. Right. And certainly when a fuel pump goes out at 160, 200,000 miles, well, hey. It was due. Things. Yeah. Especially on a GM. Yeah. It was it. due. Well, it's like a guy told me, he says, when I die and come back, I want to come back as a GM fuel pump. <laughs> that way I won't have to work. <laughs> <laughs> When they start failing at low mileage, right. of course, two years old, still in warranty, so he's got probably less than 36,000 miles, that's generally either a defective fuel pump right Beginning. out of the gate, right. something was wrong with it and it failed, or, like you say, if you continually run them low, I know a lot of times people will bring cars in, and you crank them up to drive it around, before you even look down at the gas gauge, you know this car is low on fuel because you can hear that pump whining. That's it. So it, and usually when they start whining, mm-hmm. it ain't gonna be long. Well, yeah, they'll be it's they'll quit working. It's doing damage at that point when it's whining, and it's whining because it's working real hard. It's not being cooled by That's the right. fuel. It has no head pressure, so it's having to draw that fuel off the bottom of that tank, push it all the way to the front of the car under great pressure. The bottom well, of the tank's where all the trash is, is hanging out. Another thing. And if you continue to do that, I will almost guarantee you're going to end up buying a fuel pump. Oh yeah, I got a 2000 model. Chevrolet that went a hundred and almost one hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. on the original pump, right? Which is pretty, which is good. pretty good for a for a GM pump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now Ford doesn't seem to have as much problem with their fuel pumps. We occasionally see one, and Toyota has almost no trouble with theirs. Honda has almost no trouble with theirs. Chrysler has a problem with theirs. For the most part, we see hard start problems more than not starting right the pump the check valves in a lot of the chryslers will leak back when you drive the car you park it you come back and crank 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 before it'll start then you cycle the key a couple times and goes in and cranks up that's right it's losing the fuel the residual fuel pressure that's supposed to be holding right it drains back into the tank and ford's had a little problem with that gm generally they just go out you don't get so much of the hard start problem with those 
they're either alive or dead. That's it. <laughs> and they'll, That's it. They'll drag out there. I know we had a guy in, I think it was yesterday, who had a Ford, and you drive it and drive it and cut it off and go right back. It starts right up. Right. But if you drive it, cut it off, let it sit for an hour or two, you go back and it won't hardly start. And eventually it'll start. Well, we hooked a fuel pressure gauge to it, and the fuel pressure was dropping to zero within about two seconds. And as you turn the key off, whoop, just went straight to zero. Where it should, be, it should be holding pressure. Right, right. It'll generally hold. For several what, several hours, isn't it? Well, it'll hold a, a couple of pounds for probably several hours, but it'll hold some for at least a minute or two. Right. It shouldn't just plummet straight to zero. When it does, it's because the fuel is leaking back into the fuel tank. You're not going to lose fuel. You're not going to see it on the ground because it's leaking Internally. from the front of the car back to the back of the car. Right, now, through the return line. Right. When you go to crank it up, what happens is it has to push that fuel all the way back up to the front of the car to get to the injectors before it's going to start. And, and that's, that's why it spins to... over so many times before it starts. Well, that's right. And if you just take the key and hold it, it's not ever going to start. Because what happens is when you cycle the ignition, it runs the pump for about a second just to give it a little charge on the line. And if you continue to crank, it's not going to run the pump anymore. That keeps it from flooding. But when you cycle the ignition and come back, then it'll run it again for a second. And each time you cycle the ignition, it does that for a split second. And eventually, eventually it, it gets the fuel, fuel up there, and it'll go ahead and crank at that point. So if you ever crank it just a couple of times and it doesn't start, don't keep cranking. Cut it all the way off, then cut it back on, then cut it all the way off, cut it back on, and chance oil will go ahead and start right up because that'll prime that pump up. So we're going to take another quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, all right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, why don't you go ahead and give us a call? We'll be glad to try to help you out and point you right in the right direction. And we've got Ray's been patiently holding. Good morning, Ray. Good morning, Louis. Yes, sir. I called you two weeks ago about my Chevrolet speedometer. I hadn't forgot it. Okay. It, start, it started working again, but it didn't work very long. So I'm going to call Lane Monday morning. Okay. Sounds great. Hey, my wife's got a 2002 Grand Cherokee uh-huh. Jeep, about 63,000 miles on it. And occasionally... When you start it up and try to go with it, it'll sputter a little bit, run a little bit rough. It runs rough like when you're accelerating or just like yeah. an idler? When you start to accelerate. One of the most common issues, Ray, does it have an airflow meter on that engine, do you know? I don't Coming know. Coming out of the air filter, look between the air filter and the throttle body and see if it's like a little box sort of thing with some wires going to it. Okay. That would be an airflow meter. One of the most common causes of a stumble on acceleration is a dirty airflow meter. I got you. And those are... 
obscenely expensive to replace, but we've had real good luck cleaning them. You yep. just got to be careful. Go to a parts store. You can buy some airflow meter cleaner, a throttle body cleaner, something like that, which is a special cleaner for it. And if you go on the net, you're going to find a bunch of people telling you how to do it. But just basically very judiciously clean that thing and see if that doesn't clear it up. All right. Would you say it's time for some spark plugs with that kind of mileage? Probably. You got to watch. Chrysler uses a lot of copper spark plugs still. That's uh, supposed to be changed at 30,000 miles. I got and you. I'm not sure on that particular model if they have it. But I know like the Hemis and all, every 30K they need plugs because it's got copper plugs. And the reason they did that was not neglect or trying to save money, but you got aluminum heads. They don't want those plugs to stay in there for 100,000 miles. They want it in and you. out so they don't freeze up. So, you. yeah, a lot. And you can be real surprised if you go to the Chrysler dealer to buy those spark plugs, they're real cheap. I mean, they're like 2 $3 a piece. And that's something. All right. Yeah, So, but the copper plugs, yeah, if that's what it is in there, you're way past due. You can look at your owner's manual. If it recommends around 30 k yeah, that's what you got. And that would be another thing. If that spark plug gap is real wide, it could cause a little bit of a stumble off acceleration. But All right. we found more times than not, it ends up being the flow meter if it's not setting a code of any kind. All right. If it's not, if they weren't copper plugs, were they platinum? Yeah, it would be either platinum or iridium. And those uh, will yeah. generally last a little longer than that. But, again, I would pull a couple of them out and look at them and see. What we can also do, we've got a Chrysler Star Mobile, which is the, the Chrysler scan tool. Right. Sometimes, it, in what they call Mode 6 data, it'll record okay. a misfire and tell you which cylinder it is even before it'll set a check engine light. Wow. That's it perfect. has to get a pretty significant number of misfires before it'll set a check engine light. You, it has right. to have a certain number, and they have to be at the same RPM range. You know, if it misses a different RPM range, it won't set a light. So right. just because it's not a light doesn't mean it's not some data. So try those things yourself, and if that doesn't clear it up, bring it to me. I can scan it and see if there's anything in Mode 6. I'm going to let you look at it. I, okay. I I'm too old for that. Now. <laughs> yeah, uh, one other question. Yes, uh, I want my son had a radio just like mine in the truck. He never used it. He got him one of them hopped up radios. My okay. radio went out. If I put his new radio in, it won't work. It has to be programmed or something. Can you uh -huh. do that, or is that just a dealer function? No, we can do that as long as it's a compatible radio. and It'll physically go into the truck, and it's designed to go in a truck and can be programmed. We can do it. I can do anything a dealer can do. Great, because you're going right. to have my dash apart anyways. I want you to put that radio in Oh, yeah, that's yeah, not a big deal. We'll check it and make sure. You know, there are some yep. radios that just aren't compatible. It's not possible to program them in. But right, I right. would think most of them are. If it can be done, we can do it. All right, sir. I'll All give right. Lane a call Monday. Thanks. Okay, Ray. Thank you, man. Bye-bye. We've got David online. Good morning, David. Uh, good morning, Lewis. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Your, your Saturday morning show goes great. Perfect timing for that second cup of coffee. Thank you, sir. There you go. I enjoy it. I was just calling about something that bugged sure. me, and I wanted to share it with more than just my wife. She's tired of hearing about it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but for about 10 days, we heard the uh, television commercials, and it sounds like they put the uh, audio on the radio ads about General Motors paying off their $5.7 oh, yeah. yeah. billion dollar loan right. with interest. Right. And then you're reading the Wall Street Journal and eventually the local paper that, mm -hmm. where they use TARP funds to pay it off. Well, what they and did. that sounds like a used car salesman. Basically, a total lie. We talked about that a good bit. I think it was week before last yeah. on the show. But I'm sorry I missed it. Yeah, what they did, they borrowed, I think it was $4 billion, would it be? And they took a lot of that. I think the government now owns 62% of a defunct company, which is not a real good deal for the taxpayers. Plus, we're responsible for the loan now because we own the company. What they did is they stuck $13 billion into a slush fund, liquid capital, operating capital. So. They took five-something billion of that and paid it back because they were paying 7% interest on it. Now, what they didn't tell you is they went to the Department of Energy and they borrowed or applied to borrow $10 billion at 4% interest. 
So basically, they borrowed $48 billion, paid back $5.7 billion out of a slush fund, and borrowed $10 billion more from the Department of Energy at a lower interest rate, and got the nerve to sit there and say, we paid it all back with interest. Right. They switched it from Discover to MasterCard. Exactly. I mean, what a bunch of slugs. Huh? <laughs> I, I agree. I just don't think that bodes well for selling General Motors cars or for integrity or quality or any of the good things you look for in an automobile. Well, or, or in life in general. What I noticed yesterday, I was reading some figures, and they said GM lost $1.5 billion last quarter. At the same time, Toyota, in the midst of all the recall stuff, made $1.2 billion profit. Right, and their percentage of sales went way up. Their yeah. So, I mean, I think integrity is going to come across, and, and people can spot BS pretty well. The only thing somebody was asking me about, well, GM's changed. Well, the only thing that's changed is their advertising message. Now they just tell you they're great. Sure. And I noticed they pulled those commercials. Yes, kind of abruptly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I appreciate your comments, and I enjoy the show. Thank Hi, you Dave. Much. Thank you, man. Thank Bye-bye. You. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. Guy asked me at the shop, he said, Man, you don't like General Motors cars. I said, well, that's not true. I love That's them. right. <laughs> they make me rich. <laughs> I got a shop full of them. That's <laughs> it. It's just I don't think it's the best car for you to buy. And I'm not going to sit here right now in front of everybody and say I, they're always going to be that way. But, boy, right now, I would not even consider buying no. anything that they make at all. No. And that pretty much goes for all of the not-so-big three anymore. Just our experience, not only are they – problematic man i mean they just having huge big problems i mean it's not like the old days where you'd buy a new car and get out of warranty and maybe the little thing would fall off on the side of your seat on the switch button right. and you had to get that fixed or maybe the gas gauge went out and it cost you a couple hundred bucks i mean i'm talking engines differentials oh, transmissions yeah. on a regular basis yeah. camshafts wearing out Cylinder heads busting. Cylinder heads cracked wide open. Yeah. Dashboard's not working. Yeah, the instrument cluster not working. Oh, yeah. It's, it's... Just on a daily, daily basis. I mean, all you got to do is come by the shop and walk through the back, and you see 12 bays back there, and 10 eight, of them. Yeah, <laughs> eight or 10 of them have a General Motors product sitting in it. Yeah, a fairly new American car sitting in it. It's just not what I think is fair to the American public. No, it's not. And you really need to do start doing your homework. If you're considering buying a brand new vehicle. Yeah, absolutely. Talking about difference between the profit margins of the two companies last year. And of course, GM's always, or last quarter, GM's always going to say, oh, you're an auto worker. Well, what percentage of a new car is labor content? Because everything's robots now. Exactly. That is a minuscule part. The auto worker who makes 40 bucks an hour is not the problem. It's the $85 million a year CEO who managed to lose $1.5 billion in a quarter. There you go. And the 20 levels of management uh, yeah, under him. Yeah. <laughs> and the horrible investments that they make and the stupid things that they do. They've done absolutely everything from a standpoint of marketing and discounts and bribes and cajoling and everything else to try to get you to buy the car. Instead of just building a better car that lasts. And charging a fair price. And charging for it. a fair price. That's right. Which is basically the hallmark of all economy from the last 5,000 years. If you have a good product at a reasonable price, People are going to come to you. Oh, They're yeah. Gonna beat They're going to beat your doors down. You. They're going to find you. That's right. And we really don't need a whole bunch of slick-talking shysters out there trying to convince you to do it. I mean, and, you can't talk them out of coming in. Well, and, and looking at a new vehicle, $30,000, $40,000, of $50,000. Absolutely. That's ridiculous for a brand-new vehicle. Well, it really is when you consider what cost of manufacturing it is because that's going down all the time because they're putting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper imported components that's in. That's right. And that's where They've a lot of their problems more are at. And more things because there's very little labor content in the car any longer. The way they're assembled, the, the way they're buying all components and everything, 
but yet the cost of the price hasn't come down any. Exactly. So. And and a lot of their problems is in the parts that they're buying. That's what we see. I mean, it's gotten so bad that we take new parts from Chevrolet, Ford, and Chrysler right out of the box. Of course, if you look at the box, it's made in China, made in Taiwan, Singapore, made in Korea, made Korea. in India. You take them right out of the box, and they don't even meet their specs. Not even close. Yeah. And, I mean, that is that is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, they just don't even meet their own specs. And they put them in the box, sell them. And they do the same thing on the assembly line. Right. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, we had a Ford F-350 come in. And I need some brake rotors. Bought two brake rotors, put the first one on. I'm like, man, what? So put a dial in. It had 10,000 lateral run out in a brand new rotor. Yeah. Now, their spec is plus or minus 1,000. So this is 1,000% out of their spec. I sent it back, get another one. It's got 6,000 in that one. No quality control. Yeah, so I asked the guy, which one? Well, man, can you turn them? I said, well, I hate turning new rotors. I mean, you're paying for new rotors. But, yeah. I mean, we turned them. You get them down to like a quarter of a thousandth, and, and it worked out okay. But, I mean, why should you have to go through all that? Well, that's the whole point of buying a new rotor. That's right. You know. Or a new car. Or- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just just absolutely preposterous. See this every day where people buy a new car, it gets barely out of warranty, and you hit the brakes and <laughs> the whole steering wheel shaking in your hand. And the rotor was never right from the get go. Well, and, and the biggest problem is well, we knew we had a problem, so we redesigned the whole front end to take care of this problem. Yeah. And you're going to foot the bill for yeah, it. Yeah, go Here's buy, the go bill buy for $3,000 of stuff, and that'll fix your car for you. Right. That we screwed up. <laughs> right. We yeah. see that all the time. Oh, yeah. Well, just like the cylinder heads on the Chevrolets that crack wide open at around 100,000 miles, all they'll do, there's a bulletin acknowledging they got this problem. There's defective casting, but there's no kind of recall. There's no kind of a recourse on it. It's just, well, don't use that head. Use this part number. Yeah. And, and this should fix it. And the, the head's 800 bucks. 800 bucks for some head. Plus the labor to have well, it changed out. So tear, you're tearing the entire motor down, plus gaskets, plus fluids. Right. You're up 10, yeah, to fix their screw up. Exactly. Which I don't think is right. No, I don't know any other company that can get by continually manufacturing defective products and then charging you to fix them. Well, that's it. You know, anybody else would have been out of business. Well, yeah. And they were headed that way. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Uh, <laughs> Except for a few billion of our tax dollars to yeah. prop them up. I've got a friend of mine who's retired from a, a Delco affiliate, and she's all gung-ho on this bailout because you know, her retirement exactly. was tied up in it. And I understand right. that. And I can't really discuss it rationally with her. But why would we want to prop up a company that can't make it on its own? That's what the American way is all about. Oh, exactly. You build a better product or you just get the devil out of that. That's right. I mean, we should be celebrating that somebody bad has finally got their comeuppance. That's it. Instead of bailing them out with our hard-earned tax dollars. I know. Yeah, look at Edsel. Nobody hung hung around to help them. Well, that's right. Uh, American Motors. Yeah. Hudson, Kaiser, Frazier. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Studebaker. Yeah, when they went out of business, they yeah, were out of business. They were out of business. You know, didn't, just didn't. Product didn't meet the spec to well, sure. you public know, it, anymore. It, and it would be kind of like when we turned from using horses to cars. There was probably an industry out there that made buggy whips. Yeah. Well, you know what? They had to swap over to something else because there wasn't no more buggy whips getting sold. <laughs> now, today, of course, the government will have to go out and prop up the buggy whip industry. There, there you go. Well, we're going to have to buy up all these buggy whips and, and warehouse them so these guys won't go out of business. Yeah. Well, now, wait a minute. They just need exactly. to change over to making something else. You know? Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, it's just an incredibly confusing Makes you scenario. Wonder. Well, what's happening, in effect, is that we are rewarding Failure. very, very poor performance and allowing it to go on. So 
and we're penalizing good performance because a guy who goes out there and tries to do the right thing, he's getting taxed to death to pay for all these boobs that are yeah. screwing everything up. Exactly. So what do you end up with as a society? Going down the drain? Inevitably, yeah. I mean, you know, I can't. I remember that old was that old Merle Haggard song, "Bill a Ford and a Chevy last ten years like it should." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You want to sell cars and build a good car at a reasonable price, and I'm I absolutely you. guarantee you, the world will beat a path to your door. I mean, it's sort of like at Agco, we don't have any problem keeping those bays full. No, I no, mean, not at all. Every Monday morning, the phone starts ringing, and you gotta say, "Well, man, I'm sorry, probably won't be able to get to you like Wednesday or Thursday or whatever." But I like to think we turn out a good product at a reasonable price. So people are going to tend to come to you. You don't have to do a pile of advertising. You don't have to lie to anybody. You don't have to promise them the world and, and not deliver. Right. All you got to do is what you say you're going to do. That's it. And that's the way it should be. Well, it's really not that difficult. We've known this for thousands of years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe what we need to do with GM is send them some basic business management lessons instead of giving them billions and billions of dollars. Send them a book on math. Send them W. Everett Deming's uh, Out of the Crisis. Here, there read you go. this. <laughs> there you go. Hey, we're going to take one more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at Agco Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvarez, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? And we got all our lines wide open. Be glad to try to help you out and get you some free advice. Just in case you don't call in or you wait to the end of the show, we don't get a chance to get your question answered. Right. You can always visit our website. It's www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember the acronym for that is Altazan's Garage Company. That'll get you to the site. There's several databases there you can search. A lot of great information on that site. There is, and a lot of fun things you can do as well. If you get tired of just reading all the information, there's several little automotive-related games on there that are kind of fun. There's one you can take a Agco Auto quick quiz, questions that are answered somewhere on the site, and win a free Agco T-shirt. We'll ship that to you anywhere in the United States. Unfortunately, it's only one to the customer, but that's just the way it is. So <laughs> we don't keep sending it in because I, I believe we do match the IP addresses on that. There you go. But, yeah, that's one thing. It's another one on So You Want to Be an Auto Tech. And it asks you several basic automotive questions. Just kind of makes the point of how much cars have changed. Because a lot of folks who used to work with cars, work on cars, felt pretty strong about it. And when they go and start to work on some of the newer stuff, they find out, man, this is so totally different. Oh, yeah. They're basically just totally lost. Even in the last 20 years, vehicles have changed Oh, yeah. Even in the last couple of years, I had a gentleman who sent me an email this week, or 
think it was early this week, and he was trying to change the battery in his daughter's car, and he said, after I change the battery, it doesn't have power steering. And I was looking for the reservoir to see if the fluid was low, and I can't find the reservoir. Mm -hmm. Well, what he didn't realize is that an awful lot of cars now have electrical power steering on them. They do not have a reservoir. They do not have a power steering pump at all. And that started coming out back around 2003 or 2004, right. I believe. I know GM, on I think their Malibus are electric power steering now. Saturn, on several of their cars, has that. A lot of the General Motors cars have electric power steering, and a lot of the Toyotas have electric power steering. Mm -hmm. But it just shows you how much things have changed. Fortunately, I think he had inadvertently blown the fuse to the power steering unit. It's got about a 50-amp fuse that runs that motor in the steering column. Because if you accidentally bump those wires backwards when you're hooking up the battery, you could have knocked that out. Very easily. And rather than a $6 fuse, you'd been probably buying a $600 steering column. If you got away with it that cheap. Right. The motor is buried inside the steering column that runs that, and you can't buy just a little drive motor. you got to buy the whole the new whole column. Thing. And quite a bit of labor to change it all out. So it just shows you how things have changed. And we try to keep people apprised of a lot of that on the site. Right. Tons of information about the newer stuff and, and how those things work out. Like a, another guy was asking me, he says, man, I was looking to starter on my new car. It's a little bitty tiny starter. Is that going to hold up? And I said, well, yeah, they are about half the size they used to be, but that's because they use permanent magnet gear reduction starters now. Right. And surprisingly, they hold up quite a bit better than the old big starters used to. With a lot less weight, a lot, lot less, less drag. weight, a lot less moving parts. They tend to hold up really, really well. But if you hadn't seen one before, man, they're yeah. about half the size and half the weight of an old starter, and they're a big improvement over the old starters. But those came out starting in about 1993. Yeah. So Yeah, they've been out a long time. Yeah, a lot of stuff like that that people just aren't familiar with, variable displacement air conditioning compressors, where there's no cycle valve on it. It runs all the time. The clutch never cycles, but it varies the displacement of the compressor to change the pressures on the system. Mm -hmm. Now... There's tons and tons of cars. In fact, I'd say the majority of cars now have those on it. But when the system gets low, it just runs the displacement of compressor higher, so the pressure stays normal. And if you read gauges, you're not ever going to know when you've got it charged right. In fact, you're going to blow that $600 compressor up by dumping another can of fluid in it. That's right. When you shouldn't have because that wasn't the problem at all. So it just goes to show how much they've changed. And if you go to our site, you're going to find tons of information on that kind of stuff and stuff like it, good articles, and everything on that site is written without a bias. They're not trying to sell you anything. We're not trying to push an agenda on you. Just good information. So pop on there and see what you think. It's www.agcoauto, agcoauto.com. A lot of really good information. think you'll really like it. We're going back to our phone lines with Richard. Good morning, Richard. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Doing great, sir. Say, I've got a 2005 Mercury Grand Marquis okay. Ford small block V8. Mm -hmm. 4.6. All the size right now, yeah. but it's 4.6. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 4.6 liter, I mm -hmm. think. Right. One chronic recurring problem mm -hmm. that I've had for a couple of years. Okay. When I drive on the interstate on a long trip, an hour or more into the trip, the flow through the air conditioning vents, uh, when I have the air conditioning on, the flow through the vents will decrease significantly. Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. And as I kick up the fan speed, mm -hmm. I can hear the fan running. Right. It sounds as though the displaced air from that blower is 
pushing up against some kind of damper that's closed because I hear this rumbling, but the airflow does not increase appreciably. Uh, yes, and, and the car starts to warm up. Yeah, it's, it doesn't. It cools, but not yeah, right. as much. Now, if right. I, and what I do is I flip it to back to vent, shut mm-hmm. the air conditioning system Correct. for five minutes or so. Right. I come back, and it works again. Yes, sir. You could do the thing without flipping it to vent. Just turn the AC off. What's happening, Richard, is that the evaporator core is freezing up on it, and it's getting like a sheet of ice through those films. That's why the fan can no longer blow through it, and that's also why you get coolish air but not really cold air. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a number of things that can cause that. One of the most common is a system is simply a little bit low on refrigerant. When the system gets low, the low side pressure starts to drop. When the low side pressure gets to 26 pounds, it's going to start freezing. Mm-hmm. In other words, that's how air conditioning works. It raises pressure, then it drops it, and when it drops, it absorbs heat, and that's what makes the coal. But it has to be regulated around 28 PSI on the low side or it'll freeze. Mm-hmm. If it gets low, it can't maintain that 28 PSI. So it drops to 26, 25, 24, boom, it freezes up. And generally it has to dry for a ways to do that. Now, if you turn it off, cut the compressor off, it's going to fall back out. It's going to work again for another hour or so until it does it all again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you just need to get it in, get it checked, and see. The very first thing we would do would be to draw all the refrigerant out of it, measure it, see what you've got in there, and if it's low or not. Now, if it is not a low refrigerant situation, some of the other things that can cause that on a variable displacement compressor, a bad compressor itself can cause that. What it's supposed to do is cut back the displacement on the compressor when it starts to freeze. Sometimes the valving in there, it's a wobble plate, will actually stick in the wide open position and it can't cut back. And then I had a Buick in there with the same exact problem earlier this week and we had to end up replacing the compressor. So those are the kinds of things that are causing it. The giveaway is the fact that the air doesn't blow as hard because there's other things that cause the compressor to quit working or a unit to quit cooling after driving a long distance. But with the air not blowing as hard, I'm pretty sure that's going to be it. Next time it does it, instead of you know, moving the vent positions, simply switch the compressor off and see if it doesn't clear up also. Okay, yes. Other- it, it'll take about five minutes to thaw out, and then it'll start working again. Yeah. Other than putting it on vent, how would I shut the compressor off, just move the fans? It's probably got like an automatic, if it's automatic temperature control, it's going to have an auto button, it's going to have an off button. Oh, no, that's, this doesn't have the temperature control, okay, the then old style. It's just probably the, got oh. some kind of an off, on-off button for the compressor. I'm not sure exactly where it's located on that car, but most of them have some type of button that will turn the compressor off. Oh, okay. I'll ch- I didn't realize it would have that because it's the lower-end model without all the gizmos yeah, on it. Yeah, just about all of them you can turn the compressor off. If not, I mean, you can continue to do it the way you're doing. It's just that eventually it can cause some damage because what happens when that core freezes, the liquid no longer flashes to a gas as completely. Yeah. And it's starting to build up in the accumulator outside. Well, if it overflows the accumulator and returns to the compressor, it's going to knock the compressor out. Mm, because it can't compress a liquid. So it's something you need to look into. And it could be as simple as a a small leak and just a little low on refrigerant. Okay, so it's either it could be something simple or it could be major. It could be a compressor. It would be probably the worst possible thing. I'm not sure on that one if it's got a cycle switch or not. If it's got a cycle switch, a bad cycle switch can cause that also, which is real inexpensive. I think this one does have a cycle switch. I hear hear something on... Yeah, if you hear the compressor kicking on and off when it's running, Mm. well, it's probably got a cycle switch. And a bad cycle switch that does not allow it to cut out can also cause the same problem. Now, that's real inexpensive, and you can generally change it yourself because it's got a straighter valve under it. I think if you unscrew the switch, it'll just come right off. You screw a new one on. So you might just try that yourself, but beyond that, it's going to be something we're going to need to check. All righty. Well, I'll have to get it into you guys. Okay.
Thanks much. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. I think we got time for one more call. We got John online. Good morning, John. Good morning. I have a Nissan Altima with a CVT transmission, okay. about 50,000 miles. Uh huh. When should I have the uh, transmission? I would probably look at having it changed at around 50,000 miles, John. I haven't found anyone knows how to check it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just need to get somebody else because you're looking at the wrong guy. It's not a real big job to do. Hey, I'm sorry we're out of time. Hey, I want to thank everybody for listening to us this morning and every Saturday morning in Automotive Hour. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.